6 uh, verses 10 to 13. There's not a lot of space on here for my Bible. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Father, we pray now that as we come to your word, you would help us, you would strengthen us, and you would uphold us to the end that we would receive what you have inspired in your word, and that it would do us great good. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Look at this map. This is your true situation. Your troops are entirely surrounded. Lay down your arms. Stop fighting. Those were the words that the Nazis printed and dropped on our troops in Dunkirk. They had pushed our armies back through Europe until, like the Israelites at the Red Sea, there was nowhere left for them to go. Hitler only had to give the word, and the 400,000 British and French troops there on the beach would have been annihilated. We still don't fully understand why he hesitated. And with the channel before them, and with Nazis surrounding them, victory looked impossible. If ever there was a time for soldiers to be strong, that was it. We've arrived this morning at the fullest treatment in the New Testament on the subject of spiritual warfare. And the point of our passage today is this, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Now when we began this series in Ephesians, I argued that the point of Ephesians when taken as a whole is that the church is God's new creation, planned in eternity, bought at Calvary, displayed in community. And since all of God's works are stamped with the glory of God, the devil hates the church. In fact, I'd go so far as to say 
that nothing robs the glory of God in the face of the devil quite like the blood-bought church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an enemy. And therefore, there is a need to hear Paul's summons to strength today. Be strong in the Lord. And because I am so burdened for us as a church to hear this summons to strength today, I am going to be slowing this sermon series down. If you've been here at HEC for any length of time at all, you know that I like to take bigger chunks of Scripture and move through books of the Bible relatively quickly. I just think it's easy to get lost in the weeds. It's easy to lose the wood for the trees when you move a bit too slowly through books of the Bible. But there are times to slow down. And this is one of those times. We have an enemy more determined than Hamas, more resourceful than ISIS, more intelligent than Al-Qaeda, the heed to be strong in the Lord is worth taking our time over. So God willing, we will get to some Advent series in time, but there'll probably be fewer of those sermons this year than in, in years past. But to those of you here today who feel depleted, who feel exhausted, who feel maybe backslidden, lukewarm, stone cold, or even fired up to the praise of our great God. You need to hear Paul's summons to strength today. Be strong in the Lord. And we're going to think first of all about the source of strength. The source of strength. Look at verse 10 and the first part of 11. Paul writes there, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. See, if you're going to be strong in the Lord, then you're going to need to know where to find the Lord's strength. And if you're going to be strong in the Lord's might, you're going to need to know where to access the Lord's might. So where are we to find the Lord's strength? Where are we to access the Lord's might? We'll answer, in the Lord's armor. The Lord's strength is contained in God's armor. And the Lord's might is found in the Lord's armor too. That's why, that's the reason Paul says, put on the whole armor of God right after he tells us to be strong in the Lord because that is where the strength of the Lord is found, in the armor of God. And therefore, one Christian man, one Christian woman, armed with the belt of truth, Armed with the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the, sword, uh, the, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God is enough to make the devil sweat, sweat great drops of blood. Why? Because the strength of the one who is soon to crush his head is on display. And the might of the one who will one day bind him and burn him is being flexed before his eyes. So even the most introverted, socially awkward, tongue-tied and shy disciple of Jesus Christ is enough to make the devil shake in his boots when he is armed to the teeth. 
the runt of the litter, the kid last to be chosen for the rugby team, when he is armed with all the armor of God, terrorizes all the legions of hell. And friends, there are two implications of that that I want us to think about this morning. The first is this, our strength is a derived strength. Our strength is a derived strength. In other words, it is not our own. It is his. Be strong, Paul writes, in who? In the Lord. And in the strength of whose might? The Lord's might. And put on whose armor? God's armor. Your strength is a derived strength. And so what that means is we must never be cocky on the one hand or careless on the other. Left to ourselves, the devil would eat us quicker than it would take for you to nail a bowl of cornflakes in the morning. Friend, listen, you're not as strong as you think you are. You're not as wise as you think you are. You're not as discerning as you think you are. And you are not as intelligent as you think you are either. That's why we need to be strong in the Lord, in via his armor, not our own. Heard a sermon a few years ago, and the, the pastor told the, his church what happened one day on set for a uh, perfume ad. So there was this model, she was dressed in a bikini, and she was given a bottle of perfume, and she was told to lean against a lion, like an actual, legit, real-life lion. And at some point during the filming for this advert, the lion just turned on her and just mauled her. And she, she survived, she didn't die, but later that night, the owner of this lion was talking to a local news crew, and he said to them, oh, I just can't believe this happened. I've, I've, I've had him since he was a cub. And this pastor said, no, 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 he's had you since he was a cub. And friends, since our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, we had better remember where our strength comes from. Now listen, no professing Christian in this room would disagree with this. No one would raise their hand and say, I, I, actually, Hugh, I, I, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think I need to be strong in the Lord. I don't think I, I need the Lord's might. I don't think I need the armor of God. I think I'm fine left to myself. But the evidence that you believe what Paul is saying here is found in how careful you are to arm yourself with all of the armor of God and how determined you are to refuse to be careless around sin. The believer who is at ease around drunkenness and debauchery and idolatry and the lies of the enemy is leaning against a lion in his boxer shorts. What did Luther say? Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, the Lord of hosts' name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And that's the second implication of what I want us to see here. Whatever your rank or position is, if you are wearing God's armor, you will be victorious. 
God's strength is unstoppable. God's strength is invincible. God's strength is indomitable. And therefore, dressed in God's armor, so are you. In fact, Scripture tells us we are already more than conquerors through Him who loved us. But the foretaste of that victory now is going to give way to a feast of victory then. So although we're never to get cocky, and although we're never to be careless, we're also never to be afraid either because victory is on the way. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need to resist temptation, everything you need to expose the lies of the enemy, everything you need to be a consistent witness for Christ in school or in college or at work. There is nothing you need that God hasn't already given you in the Lord Jesus Christ. So friend, whatever you're anxious about now, don't be. What did Paul say? Be anxious for nothing. Victory is on the way. And I know some of you are struggling with doubts, either about the faith or about your own grasp of the faith. I know there's apostasy all over the place in the so-called state church. I know there are people in your family who mock you. And I know there are people in the workplace that revile you and exclude you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil falsely on account of Christ. But listen, sufficient is the strength that is yours in God's armor. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How? By putting on the whole armor of God. Second, I want us to see the goal of strength. The goal of strength. Look at verses 11 to 13. Paul writes there, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So what is the, the goal? What is the purpose of being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might? Well, Paul tells us here that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Then later that you may, may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Do you get it? The goal of strength is to stand. It is not to conquer. Jesus already has in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. You are called to stand, to hold the line, to be an impenetrable wall of the kingdom of God. Now it's true, isn't it, that Paul does right here, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that is against people, against human beings, but against, so we do wrestle against we do engage in combat against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, such beings being demons there, the servants of the devil. And so there is some wrestling for us to do 
there is some combat for us to engage in, and we're going to see what that looks like as we work our way through all of the various pieces of the armor of God in the weeks to come. But the word stand or withstand is used four times in verses 10 to 14. Why? Because that is primarily what we're strengthened to do. And therefore, for us believers, that phrase, don't just stand there, do something, is actually flipped on its head. It's don't just do something, stand there, as someone once put it. And notice Paul tells us here, to stand against something and to stand in something. Do you see that verse 11 that you may be able to stand against the what? Schemes of the devil. That is specifically what we're called to stand against. Because the devil does have schemes. And the devil does employ intelligent military-like operations. Tactical plots in the world. And you may, you may laugh at that, but not nearly as hard as the devil is laughing at you. Because he has you right where he wants you. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. And so church, to ensure that we are not ignorant of his designs, I want to share three designs with you. Three tactical plots, three satanic schemes that the devil uses. We see them all over the Bible. Uh, We see them all over the, the world today. What are they? Deception, distraction, division. Deception, distraction, division. They work like a charm. To you unbelievers, the devil will deceive you by saying things like this to you. There's no such thing as the truth. What matters is your truth. You you don't need to repent of that sin. No, no, no. You need to love your authentic self. You don't need to be ashamed of that ungodly, but no, no, no. You need to be proud of it. And you don't need Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection because you're enough. And you don't need God. You can be your own God. And you can be spiritual on your terms and in your way, and in the, work, the way that works best for you. What do you need the Bible for anyway? It's an old r- book written by dead people with full of I- outdated ideas. Any of that sound familiar? And to you believers, God, uh, the devil will say this, God hasn't forgiven you. God doesn't love you. Uh, God is ignoring you. God doesn't see you. God doesn't listen to you or... God isn't offended by the ongoing pattern of sin in your life. He's a God of love. And you can have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and be fine. And there are no consequences for your compromise with sin. Yes, what what the Bible says you're doing is wrong. But friend, you're the exception to the rule. And you can put burning coals on your lap and not be burned. Jesus said, the devil has nothing to do with the truth. 
there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So there's deception. But then second, there's distraction. There's distraction. Some of you don't really like it when I quote C.S. Lewis because when he was wrong, he was really wrong. But when he was right, he was really, really right. And I personally believe that his book, The, the Screwtape Letters, is a really good example of that. So his book, The Screwtape Letters, is every chapter is a letter written by an experienced demon who's trying to train up a less experienced demon. He's like his protege. And so he's giving him all of this advice on a, a, a patient, as they call him, someone that he's been assigned to, to, to lead further and further away from Christ. And what is his number one piece of advice? Distract. Let me read it to you. He writes, I once had a patient, a sound atheist, who, who used to read in the British Museum. One day... As he sat reading, I saw a train of thought in his mind beginning to go the wrong way. And that means toward God. The enemy, of course, God, was at his elbow in a moment. Before I knew where I was, I saw my 20 years work beginning to totter. If I had lost my head and begun to attempt a defense by argument, I should have been undone. But I was not such a fool. I struck instantly at the part of the man which I had best under my control and suggested that it was just about time he had some lunch. The enemy presumably made the counter-suggestion, you know, you can never quite overhear what he says to them, that this was more important than lunch. At least, I think that's what it, it must have been his line, for I said, quite, in fact, much too important to tackle at the end of a morning, the patient brightened up considerably. And by the time I added, much better to come back after lunch and go into it with a fresh mind, he was already halfway to the door. Once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and a number 73 bus going past. And before he reached the bottom of the steps, I had got him into an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come into a man's head when he was shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life was enough to show him that all that sort of thing just couldn't be true. He is now safe in our father's house. Deception, distraction, and then there's division. Then there's division. Paul taught, uh, warned Timothy of the one in the church who, quote, has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction. And the irony of ironies is this is the guy who thinks he's doing everyone a favor. Whereas in reality, he's doing Satan a favor because he's doing his work for him. Divide and conquer is the devil's modus operandi in the church. And church, we need to, as a church, stand against all of the deception, distraction, and division that comes our way, either in the world or here in the very church of Christ.
And how are we to do that? Well, we're to do it by tracing it back to its original source. In other words, to recognize where something comes from by testing everything by God's word, tracing it back to where it comes from, whether from God or whether from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then having traced it back, either receiving it or rejecting it. And notice that Paul doesn't just tell us here what we're to stand against. Instead, he tells us what we're to stand in. Middle of verse 13, that you may be able to stand in the evil day. What, what day is that? Well, I think Paul just simply has in mind there those days or that day in which the spiritual opposition is ramped up all the more and it's increased. So for me, that's called Monday. Uh, that, that's when the devil is at my elbow and he's either tempting me towards pride if I think that I've done an all right job the day before, or he's tempting me to despair if, like last week, I actually couldn't talk for about 25 minutes during the message. But the point is, forewarned is forearmed. Be strong in the Lord now, Paul says, so that you'll be able to withstand then. And I want to close this message by speaking to three groups of people that are here today. And the first group of people is those of you who have gone AWOL, absent without leave. So you, your brothers and sisters, there they are, they're, they're on the battlefield, they're, they're in the trench, they're trying to stand firm against all of the schemes of the devil, they're trying to stand firm in the evil day, they've got blood on their faces, they've got bullets that are whizzing past their ears, they've got bombs that are exploding left and right around them, and there you are, doing nothing but complaining about what you don't like in the church with your feet up in a hotel wearing a dressing gown. Or you're fixated on money and you're obsessed with working out the best way to take life easy and to retire early. And friend, what I want to say to you is this, we need you on the field. We can't afford for you to go AWOL. Put your armor back on and get back in the trenches with God's people. And how are you to do that? Well, here's, here's a start. By actually being with us. By actually being with us because we need your camaraderie. We need your encouragement. We need your su support. We need your friendship. I, I, and you may not like small talk at the end of services. So what I want to say to you is this. Why not take that small talk and turn it into big talk? Yeah. If someone's boring you, okay, just interrupt them and say, listen, how can I be praying for you this week? Right? And then when they tell you, actually pray for them there and then. Don't just say, yeah, I'll be praying for you and then forget all about it, which we all do at times. No, pray for them there and then. But then I also need to speak to the wounded among us. Those who are so wounded among us that you, you just feel like you can't load the rifle, you can't cock it back and look to the enemy over the other end of the trench. And friend, what I want to say to you is this. Even though Jesus is the great commander of the armies of heaven, he is gentle and lowly. Isn't that awesome? He commands the vast 
host of heaven's armies. And he says, a bruised reed I will not break. And a faintly burning wick I will not snuff out. And so be revived in the knowledge of his love for you. The Jesus who is going to return one day with fire in his eyes and with a sword coming out of his mouth is the Jesus that wants to hold little bleeding lambs in his arms and build them up again in the knowledge of his love for them. And so if last week I said to employees and to managers, go to Christ before you go to work, to you I want to say, go to Christ before you go to war and let him encourage you and let him thrill you and let him top up your tank with his love for you. And lastly, to those of you who are unconverted, I want to call you today to enlist in Jesus' army. I'm not talking about a literal army with literal guns and bullets and tanks and whatever else. I think it's really important to say that in our day and age with all the wars going on around us. But listen, in every war, there is only ever one winning side. And this is your chance to join the winning side. Because when Jesus returns, the devil and all who are enslaved to him will lose. And Jesus Christ and his church will be victorious. And therefore, acknowledge your sin today. Believe that he loved you and that he died for you. And confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you will, you will be saved. It's amazing, isn't it? Those 360,000 troops, they all made it safe from Dunkirk to Devon's shore. And the wonder of wonders is every blood-botched soldier in Jesus' army is going to make it safe to heaven sure one day too. In the meantime, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us and then we're going to sing together.